Welcome into the show. It's Daniel Werman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is Friday, June the 7th, and we will be joined here in just a few minutes by Dennis Crowley, the founder of Foursquare and the founder of Kingston Stockade FC. Really excited to talk to him and um, get his thoughts on Stockade, on the American system. Um, Expected to be a really good conversation. I uh, hope you're having a, a good day, good Friday, TGIF, right? I um, hope you've had a great week. Today, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Women's World Cup kicks off in France as the host country, France, host Korea in the uh, kickoff game. It's the only match of the day as the Wim- Women's World Cup kicks off today and um exciting times uh, over the next four weeks or so for the women's world cup uh kicking off in france so excited for that and excited to be following that um there's gonna be some 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 definitely some dangerous uh some teams out there so we'll see how things shape out and uh, shape up for the women's U.S. women's national team, the defending FIFA Women's World Cup champions from 2015. And, um, you know, it's not going to be an easy road. They they definitely have the, the talent on the field to win, uh, but... Uh, we, we've got to, to see some consistency, especially some against some teams that have the ability to play really, really good soccer, team uh, soccer, France being one of those teams that may be in the path of the U.S. women's national team that they're going to have to get by. So we'll be rooting for you um, and and hoping that you're able to do it uh, again. And uh, But we, we will see uh, how things shape up in Europe this summer. Over the next few weeks for the Women's World Cup, and uh, the U.S. Women's National Team. In other news, um, came out yesterday, the deal is official. Rocco Camiso has bought ACF Fiorentina in Serie A in Italy. And uh, in, in, in kind of reading some of the news around it, uh, it looks like for somewhere in the ballpark of an MLS franchise. And um, knowing knowing Rocco and and his team, that probably is no accident. Um, you know, him being able to buy a club that uh, is the same price as an MLS franchise, uh, that would not be lost on Rocco and his team. And it really shouldn't be lost on American soccer. It's a travesty that the U.S. Soccer Federation has married itself to one company in Major League Soccer at the expense of everyone else. And and I tweeted about this yesterday, and I had a, I had a couple comments, you know, talking about, well, there, there's been a lot of investment. Here's the problem. In the time that Major League Soccer has been married to U.S. Soccer and everyone else has been shut out, of the top levels of game shut out not able to access the top levels of the game via sporting merit there there there's no access you have to you have to be accepted and you have to buy into that club major league soccer to that company otherwise you can't play at the top level and and so what has happened in the last 20 25 years is there has been investment okay so no one has ever said that there's not been money put into the game in American soccer, but the amount of money, let's say, is 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 represents the space between my two hands, right? So about let's say it's about twelve inches, just for for an illustration. The amount of money that's been left on the outside looking in, American owners who have said this system is flawed, doesn't work. We're going overseas and we're going to put our money there and we're going to put it into the game. And this is the important important piece here. Into the game means buying a club, putting money on the field, not just giving money to other MLS owners. We're talking about actual money going into the soccer system, not money just going 
to another MLS owner. The amount of money that has gone overseas, as well as the money based on those results that you would have to estimate would also be sitting on the sidelines, is way, way beyond 12 inches. Way beyond that short gap. It's It, it could be two, three, four times as much or more going into the American soccer space that's not going there now. Keep in mind that American youth soccer is a $5 billion, with a B, $5 billion per year sports economy by itself. It is worth more, that $5 billion in youth soccer. That soccer economy is worth more in annual business than the, than the Bundesliga earns in revenues. That is the top professional league in Germany. So whenever, whenever you see comments about U.S. soccer being interested in growing the game, whenever you hear comments from board members or leaders within U.S. soccer talking about the investments made in American soccer, you have to keep in mind that, yeah, we might be spending a nickel or a dime where we could have been seeing investments in the neighborhood of a dollar, two, three dollars compared to that five to ten cents. We're talking about fractional opportunity, fractional investment. Limited investment means that there is limited opportunity. When you have limited opportunity, what do you get? You get limited investment. The owners who are involved in Major League Soccer could easily put more money into Major League Soccer. They barely pay their players on average. And take away the DPs, those don't count. I'm talking about their roster of players. You have players in Major League Soccer earning fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. And they're claiming it's the top division in American soccer. I'm sorry, you cannot compete with second divisions around the world at that pay structure for a roster. I'm not talking about a few DP slots. I'm talking about roster guy number 17, roster guy number 18. In the NWSL, it's even worse. You're talking about $10,000 minimum pay for an NWSL rostered player. Not a DP, not a U.S. national teamer. I'm talking about, you know, a lady on the team that it, that is 19, 20, 21 on the roster. We're not putting money in the game, not even on the level that they claim we are. And, and one of the things that, that infuriates me when I read about U.S. soccer growing the game or Major League Soccer growing the game Oftentimes, the growth that they're talking about is holding hostage cities to leverage for tax dollars so that these people who have the money don't actually have to put much of it in to their local community. They don't want to put their own money into the community. They're not putting it into the roster, so they're not putting it into the soccer operations, and they don't even want to put it into their own stadium. They want to take San Diego and Las Vegas and Sacramento and Phoenix and Detroit, and they would put all these cities in a competition for one spot. And they want to leverage that to create what I call artificial scarcity so that they can extort those different cities and communities to try to pony up tax dollars in order to get an MLS franchise. It's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. We're not putting money into the game. We're fleecing American taxpayers. And our rosters are, are being filled with players who are getting paid pennies. And I'm not suggesting that all of those players should just get paid more. I'm saying you should have more money allocated to bring in better quality players. If you want people to watch Major League Soccer, if it's the top if it's the top league in this country and it's going to be taken serious as a top league in this country, then we should have the money to go out and buy really good players for the entire roster. 
Are we gonna are we gonna have a Messi or a Ronaldo or an Mbappe or a Pogba in their prime right now? No. Why? Because the system isn't predicated on world class. But we could have really good quality players, pa- players that are right now in that designated player range on a lot of these teams that you don't even know about, but they're brought in to bring some quality to the squad. That player could be duplicated. That player's not special. Those those players can be found all over the world. And they would love to play here and earn 250K, 500,000, a million dollars a year playing in America versus playing in the English third division or some in the English championship or in 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 the you know Bundesliga 2 in Germany if we ever get to a place where we take it serious in this country with the federation and all members having access based on sporting merit we're not going to see people like Rocco Camiso just having basically being forced to look abroad he, he wants to put money in American soccer. He said it over and over and over again, but he cannot justify putting that $150, $200 million into the New York Cosmos because the Cosmos have nowhere to play. They have no ability to get to the top. They have no ability to take their brand and their club and their operation and grow it as big as they want to grow it because there is a glass ceiling sitting on top of American soccer in the name and in the form of Major League Soccer. And until that changes, there are going to be cities and communities and clubs locked out, investment sitting on the sideline or going overseas. Markets are going to react to opportunities, period. Study economics. When you see open markets, when you see opportunity, money money will flood in when it, when it looks like it can get rewarded. When they look like investment that has an opportunity to do something with their investment, you're going to see more investment. You're also going to see more investors investing. It's simple economics. So walking around and crowing about growing the game under the limited opportunity plan of major league soccer and soccer and soccer united marketing and the u.s soccer federation and and not acknowledging and being so disingenuous with the fact that there are so many on the outside looking in cities communities investors clubs that don't have access to the top and you're and you're acting like well we've put in x amount of dollars when we could have seen 10x 20x 30x worth of investment in American soccer in the last 20 years, but have not precisely because there are gatekeepers all over this system. This system is built on gatekeepers, major league soccer on the professional space. You see national sanctioning organizations on the amateur space. It's all over us soccer. It is, it is beholden to these conflicts of interest. It It is paralyzed from being able to do its job by its own inability and ineptitude. It is a problem, and it will not get fixed um, by going around and touting a few um, a, a, a few moments here and there where you see an MLS owner do a little bit here and there. We're not talking about going out and throwing a million dollars on a player while at the same time asking your city to pay for your stadium. We're talking about putting real money into the game. Maybe it's 20, 25, 30 million dollars into your roster to actually play quality soccer. It's not quality soccer. The kids know it. The kids can watch on TV quality soccer and if they watch an MLS match, they're like this is garbage. They can tell for themselves. You don't have to tell them. They can see the difference. So we're not fooling them. In an age where we need to be authentic and we need to be real, we've got to first be real with ourselves and acknowledge the fact that we're not taking the game serious. At the highest levels of the Federation, we're not taking it serious. And until we do, we're going to see this story repeat itself over and over again. Time and time again, missing out on opportunity. All because the U.S. Soccer Federation is beholden 
to Major League Soccer and not willing to embrace its role as being a federation for all of its members. And the only way, the only way that they can be a federation for all of its members to serve all of their members is to give opportunity and equal opportunity to every member. That means any club in this country can build as big as they can get and go as far as they can go based on their own merit. And if they fail, they fail. If they succeed on the field, they succeed on the field. But there is no one at U.S. soccer, no one within Major League Soccer being able to tell them that they cannot play, that they cannot join their their club, their private club, their, their, their access to only what they can get access to. Every club, every player, every coach, that should be the motto of U.S. soccer. If we want to make soccer the preeminent sport in America, or as I would like to see, make soccer and make American soccer the greatest soccer country on earth, we've got to start giving opportunity to everyone around the world, uh, excuse me, around this country to become the best in the world. It'll take time. It'll take money. It'll take investment. But that's the path forward. That's what we need for this country in order for us to succeed and be able to really start to see us realize our potential. The, the sponsor for this half hour is Dut Kick Brand. You can learn more about Dut Kick Brand at D-U-T-K-I-G. They have incredible soccer products there, notebooks, T-shirts, etc., um, and, and session planners. It, it's really cool stuff you should check out. And when you do... And you place an order, use the promo code DWSHOW. Again, that is DWSHOW and get 10% off of your order. And at the same time, support this show. Thanks so much in advance for doing that. Visit and learn more about Dutkick at DutkitBrand.com. We will be right back after this with Dennis Crowley. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning, June the 7th. We are really pleased and excited to, ha- to be joined this morning by Dennis Crowley, founder of Foursquare and Kingston Stockade FC. Dennis, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on this morning. Hey, thanks so much. Excited to be back on the show. So um, you, are, you are walking the streets of New York dealing with... Uh, uh, a typical uh, Friday up in New York, and and noise in the background, and it's okay. We'll we're those of us who um, really enjoy that that noise, as I do, and I'm being serious here that that I do will not mind it a bit. Uh, if you like quieter backgrounds, obviously New York's not the place to to be for you. But I, it's my favorite city on earth, so. Uh, 
Uh, anytime it's I'm there. It's hectic, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us uh, a little bit about, um, you know, why did you start in to, to just kind of, I want to start here. Why did you start Kingston Stockade in the first place? Oh, um, you know, this is, we're on our fourth season now. Uh, and so we started a couple years ago. It was really just, um, it came from a bunch of different places. It was, you know, my wife and I were spending a lot of time in Kingston and we wanted to contribute to the, the town and the community in some way. And we were looking for, a project to make our own. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I kind of had this, um, this, this moment of like, Hey, a lot of people sit back and complain about the state of us soccer. And, um, like, what do you do as fans, right? Like you, you, you turn it off if the men's national team isn't performing well, and that's like your form of protest. Like what, what's, what's the bigger thing you can do? So a couple of things, this idea of make the club from scratch, other people how to like teach other people how to do it in their community and then let's see if we can start this kind of groundswell of support from the bottom and um you know just do tiny little pieces here and there to try to turn this into more of a soccer nation you get you know just build soccer into more communities so in kingston what what was the reception like in the beginning and how have you seen that reception change or grow in the last four years yeah, I'll tell you, it was, um, it's, it's so easy to look, to look at it now. You know, you have like 800 or 1,000 fans a game. And just be like, oh, of course this was going to work. But at the time, like everyone was like, wait, wait, what are you, you going to do? Are you going to put a soccer team in, in Kingston? Like, who's going to, who cares? Who's going to play? Even if you find people, they won't be any good. You know, like how many fans do you expect? 50? Like, we, we didn't know. But we just wanted to, we wanted to build this thing. Like, I wanted to to build it and try it and see if it would work. And then I remember like our very first game, you know, like it was like a slow trickle of fans in and, you know, you're so distracted kind of watching the team and doing the operations and stuff. But the, the first, you know, the, the first like stoppage of play, I remember like turning around and being like, holy cow, there's like 800 people in the stands. And we we're just like, wow, this is, this is going to work and it's going to work in a big way. And now, now you know, we're on a fourth season, every season, we kind of turn some of the dials, like we introduce new things or, or try to do more interesting marketing or whatnot. Like this year we have um, you know, like a little mini beer garden and food trucks. And so we think that's bringing more people in, but we're about a thousand people a game. So when, when you set out on this journey, one of the things that I, that I, I know I've enjoyed and I've heard this from other guests on the show and, and, and others who are involved in soccer around this country is you you went pretty public with kind of hey here's what we did and here's how we did it and you know feel free to like dig in and look at everything and and see what we did and learn from it and ask questions etc what what compelled you as you were kind of putting all this together to go hey let's let's kind of open source this thing and put it out there kind of here's our sauce and here's how we're making it uh, and, and feel free to learn, adapt, to study, ask questions, and do it yourself. What what kind of what kind of sparked that uh, for you? Was it the was it the Foursquare software kind of background that that's kind of prevalent in that yeah. space? Yeah. Well, we um you know this is Stockade is kind of like my third big project, and like I had a company and we, we sold it to Google a bunch of years ago, and then Foursquare is kind of the second one, and you know we're like 350 employees and going like 10 years. And like you get, like when you're building these things, you get so, um, you get kind of so caught up in the act of building them that sometimes you don't document the process, right? So there's no artifacts about like how hard it was in the beginning and how no one thought it would work. And so this time, you know, it was very conscious. Like if we're going to do something and we think it's going to work, let's start writing about it from the beginning, right? And let's just show people what it looks like from, from the inside out. You know, part of it was like, you know, the, the world, maybe the world doesn't need another D4 soccer club, but the world could use, you know, a bunch of clubs that are being super transparent with their, with their financials. Like, you just kind of open the books and kind of open source what it takes to, to make one of these. Um, and, you know, part of it was like, you know, when I, when we first got started, I went on, one of my first thing I did is I went to Google, like, how do you make a soccer club from scratch? And there was, there was no search results. Like, there was like no results came up. I was like, someone's, some, no one's done this? No wonder it's so hard to do it. Like, why don't we just be transparent and just kind of make like an instruction manual, like almost as if you were putting like a, a Lego set together. 
we'll make one of those, but for how to build a small club in your small community. And and what ha- what have you seen in terms of feedback from that effort and, and the effort you've continued to do since you've launched? Have you you know have you have you heard from a lot of clubs? I, like I said, I I've heard from a lot of people, but I'm curious to to know what your feedback and interactions have been in in that effort and those conversations. Yeah, I mean, at first I remember going to the NPSL owners meeting and people being like, "Well, what what did you just do? You just published all the numbers on how much it costs." I was like. Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's a good thing. Like that's, people will respond well to that because it will attract the right type of people and it will, it will push out the, the people that are in it to, you know, to try to turn a quick buck. Um, but I think what, and that's, and that's been great, but I think what, what's been really interesting is like there, there are periods of the year where I might talk to at least one aspiring club owner a week, right? Someone will reach out on Twitter or someone will send the, the club an email or, you know, you get a comment on one of the, the blog posts that I write, and then you follow up with these people. And, you, you know, on my walk to work, as I'm, as I'm doing now, I, I have a half an hour conversation with them to answer any questions that they may have. And some of those clubs, like, turn into, like, they turn into, into real clubs. And that, that's kind of the point of it. It's like, how do you just make it easier for people to get started? How do you lower the barriers, right? There's very, like, there's tons of business books about how to go and start your tech startup. And there's just not a lot of material about how do you, um, you know, how do you start one of these things in, in the, the depths of lower level soccer. And so, you know, doing a little bit of writing about it and then also just making ourselves accessible to answer questions and just, you know, tweet back at people when they're stuck somewhere. Just all of that helps. So that same philosophy, that same mentality that says, hey, we're going to document, we're going, you know, to curate curate this information we're going to publish the information we want to make you know the 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 entry barriers lower uh to get involved in the sport but do it at a at a quality level by you know seeing some other documentation some how-tos some step-by-steps etc and in this philosophy of you know taking opportunity etc plays right into the same philosophy uh, of sporting merit, FIFA's principle of sporting merit, uh, the, you know, the easy way to think about it and in, in, in the kind of phrase that's used is promotion and relegation. Um, it, it is it, 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 for the audience, uh, and, and if you've been under a rock listening to the show, um, people uh, who may have not heard the term promotion relegation um, you must have been asleep or not listening because we talk about it all the time. But just for, for the purposes of the, this segment, it just means that if you win your league or finish in the, the top two or three places, that it earns you an opportunity to play at a higher league than the league you're playing in currently. And if you do really bad, you play at a lower league than you played before. Those same philosophies and principles of what you were talking about, about lower barrier to entry, um, documenting the process, finding ways to create more opportunity plays right hand in hand with that same philosophy of promotion relegation. How do you think that would impact uh, soccer in this country in, in all of these cities and communities like Stockade or Detroit or Chattanooga and, and others who, who don't have access right now to the top? What would that do for them? in that same spirit of the stuff you're already doing? Yeah, I think the, I think the, the primary thing that it does is it, it rewards clubs who want to invest financially in, you know, in, in their products, right? And the product being the fan experience and the product being the, you know, the players on the field. Um, and, you know, like you asked me, one of the first questions you asked me is like, well, tell me where, where we are and stockade land, you know, four seasons in. And, you know, like we're, we're in a small community of like 20,000 people. And, you know, we, we average like 800, you know, 800, maybe at the, at the best, we'll see like a thousand, a thousand fans a game. And we're trying to figure out how do we, like, how do we grow from there? And, you know, we, we figured out that like around a, you know, budget of about a hundred thousand dollars, we can get to just about break even. And then that, that's kind of it. Like, that's going to be it for us until we decide, like, well, why don't we invest a ton more in 
uh, and players? Why don't we go from amateur to pro? Why don't we go from short season to long season? Why don't we make a run at trying to get into D3, D2? Why don't, why don't we, you know, it, but there, there is no reason to invest. Like there's, there's a reason to continue doing the club because we love it and the community loves it and it's super fun and rewarding. But to go from a product that's break even to a product that says, you know, loses 100000 a year or, you know, loses 200000 or more than that because you want to invest in the players and invest in the infrastructure for a shot at getting promoted. Like we, we just don't, we don't have that incentive. Um, it, and it's not just a stockade thing. It's like a lower level clubs in general thing. Now, I mean, there's a lot of pieces that have to be put in place. It's not just promotion relegation. It's also like, okay, once you get promoted, well, what did you get for being promoted? Are you getting a cut of the broadcast revenue for that league? Are you getting a cut of the sponsorship revenue for that league? Like a lot of this infrastructure that I think you take for granted exists throughout, you know, European um, soccer pyramids and soccer systems. It just it doesn't exist here yet. And so how, does, how do all those pieces come together at the same time, um, you know, to reward the clubs that really want to go out and invest and punish those uh, that don't. Completely. And, and it, it is a, for me, it is, it is kind of the chicken and the egg, which comes first um, kind of scenario. And, I, and I'm one of those where I think it all has to kind of come. It, it, it plays off of each other. I was, I was recently listening to a, a conversation on the Tim Ferriss podcast between Tim Ferriss and Jim Collins. And they were talking about the flywheel and in, in, in that conversation about the flywheel, I think is, is, is spot on with, with the points you just brought up about an open system and what, what goes into that. It's not just about, okay, Hey, we, we implement promotion relegation and now a club can win and move up. But what else comes as a result in that flywheel that kind of continually feeds that cycle and european soccer has figured it out better than any place in the world Uh, commercial uh, revenues broadcast revenues the rewards for going up and even the ability to help you on the way down so that going down payments on the way down exactly so so um that flywheel has created a, a, a a sense of um, opportunity, but also a, a sense of scale in England, in Spain, in Italy, in Germany, at the biggest leagues in the world. That we are not we are not experiencing that in American soccer. It's it's so it's not just access on the field to the first division, but it's also access to the revenue and the other elements that go into that open system, that flywheel of open soccer that is that is not in place that has to get put in place uh, for for us to see change in the way that I view this uh, is that we need to embrace kind of the mentality of Silicon Valley in 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 terms of the way that we need to approach soccer we've been trying to do it um, you know kind of really in in a mid 20th century mentality is I guess the way I would I would you know use this illustration in terms of the way that we kind of approach technology and different things. And now uh, you see anybody can try to develop an app. Anybody can try to build a website or a business or, you know, something in tech and and, and try to make it. It's, it doesn't mean it's easy, but, you know, there's opportunity there. You can try try to build whatever you dream of. And, and we need to embrace that same philosophy and mentality. Uh, openness, I guess, is a word I would use. Uh, for American soccer uh, and and to have em- embrace that same philosophy there in order for us to see that flywheel start to get put in place. So when you're when yeah. you're when you're playing in a stockade in the NPSL, um, the National Premier Soccer League, amateur league, it's a short season um, uh, soccer league takes place you know primarily in, in these summer months. Um, you know, for anybody out there who may be a general sports fan, I would equate it to like a Cape Cod league in, in baseball. You, you have a kind of a short season summer league, am, you know, primarily amateur players that are coming to play uh, in the league. Um, what would what would need to change practically for Stockade and the NPSL and those collection of clubs to progress from the reality of today? 
to the reality of being a club in the fourth division in the English pyramid? What are some practical steps um, or things that need to change? Like, you, like if you want to, if you want to compare, like fourth division to fourth division, is what you're saying, or I'm just saying, like, if it, for the audience, what are the realities of being a fourth division club in England versus a fourth division club in America, and kind of what needs to change yeah. in order for us to feel like that? Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you the answer from two perspectives, right? From like, from our club perspective, like we pay, a, we play a short season. Uh, we play with amateurs. We don't have professional players. Uh, and, that, and the reason for that is um, uh, because the best talent that's accessible to us is the college players, uh, college players in the U.S. And so uh, if you have college kids on your team, as we do, uh, you cannot have uh, paid players per NCAA rules. Like you cannot have a co- an unpaid college player sitting on the same bench, having their name on the same roster as a registered professional player. It's just against it's just against the rules, and so like you know things things are are different in the U.S. because of the NCAA, because of the um, the dominance of, of college athletics, and you know a, a lot of some of the best players in the U.S. So, like I'm going to use soccer as a way to go get a free education at college, which I think is a is a great thing, and so it's a little like apples to apples to oranges, um, but then you know, the primary things like when we think about like what's next for us with stockade. It's like we got to play a longer season, right? We we are we have we have kind of tapped out the growth potential I think that we have playing, you know, 14 games over 14 weeks, and we need to figure out a way to start earlier, play in the spring, and start later, play in the fall. Which means put a roster together that doesn't have college players on it. Um, which means probably uh, you know paying some of the players, right? It also means like finding other teams to play against that can also uh, like afford to have uh, non-college players and can afford to play, you know, call it six, seven, eight, nine months out of the year. Uh, and you know, the beauty of the NPSL is that there's a hundred teams across the country that are participating in this short season league. Now, if, if you force everyone to a longer season, you know, you'd lose a lot of them because not a lot of them would be able to pull it off. So I think we have to find the graceful transition in kind of like the, the upgrade path for like, how do you take this basic unit of an NPSL club, short season amateur players, and then, you know, help that club take a step up and have access to a longer season, have access to the ability to add professional players and have them play um, amongst uh, amateur teams. So there, there's a lot of little pieces here that have to, have to get solved. So, in in particular, um, or, or specifically, the upgrade path, taking a club from where they are to, to maybe that next phase for the club, what, what kind of steps would Stockade and some fellow clubs um, need to do to be able to transition if they are, are aspiring? Maybe they're in the NPSL, maybe they're... Maybe they're in another regional league uh, in this country, but they aspire to play a longer season to start to kind of dip yeah. their toe into, you know, professional players. And professional players at this point is you're paying them one dollar or above, right? So they're un- they're they're it, a lot of sure. people hear yeah. the word professional and they think, oh my god, I got to figure out how to pay this player a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars a year. Yeah, professional yeah. just simply means you're paying them at least a dollar a year they're under a professional yeah, contract or even even zero dollars right there's like such a thing as like a, a zero dollar professional contract so in in that scenario um, how do you how how do you foresee that upgrade path taking place for those clubs yeah i mean i i always think of it through the lens of of products right like i'm a i consider myself a product person i've spent my career building like technology consumer products and so I look at this as like it's a product, right? The NPSL, the league, is a, is a product. And it's a product that has the following characteristics. Like, you know, 100 teams around the country, which means you don't have to travel too far, uh, allows for amateur players, uh, and short season. And so that product works great. Now, the, it happens to be like the next product up for us, like just in the landscape in general, is probably like NISA, right? NISA, the Division Three League, where, you know, you might be doing travel – halfway around the country, which is very expensive, you'd be registering professional players and you're playing a full season. Like that's like going from, 
you know, like a Honda Accord to like a Mercedes SUV. And there's, there's nothing in the middle, right? Someone's going to create a product in the middle that allows someone to, you know, allows these clubs to say, well, I want to play a longer season, but, but I don't want to do it with the pro players. Or, okay, I want to do it with, uh, I want to do a longer season with, with um, you know, $1 pro players, but I don't, I don't want to travel halfway around the country. I can, I can only afford to travel, you know, in, in New England or only in, in a, you know, the Southeast region or, or whatnot. And so those, like, those products don't exist. Like, you can't, you can't join that league today. Someone has to create that product and then help people move into that. It's like a, you know, it's like the, the upgrade cycle of a, of a car or, like, of an iPad or something like that. You know, like, there's always a bigger and better product to go into. It's just, like, in, the problem in U.S. soccer is that there's such a huge gap between the products on the on the lower end or the smaller end, and the products in the you know, in the in the mid tier or even the high end, you know, call high end MLS. So I, it, so it's like the challenge is creating, you know, the challenge is getting organized and creating those products uh, that enable that give those teams an opportunity to to try out different types of lower level soccer. And, and that makes sense. While you were talking, it reminded me of of a leadership um, talk that I heard one time. And, and, and basically he was talking to his team about, uh, you know, this idea of steps, not programs. And, and to try to yeah. get his team thinking in, in terms of pathways instead of just, hey, let's just throw out a new idea and just chase it. And so he put his team yep. all on one side of the room and put down a piece of paper, walked across the room, you know, some 25, 30 feet to the other side of the room and put another piece of paper down and, and, and asked if anybody on his team, without touching the floor, could they jump from that piece of paper to the other piece of paper on the other side of the room? And, of course, nobody could, could make that 30-foot leap. And, and, yeah. and so he was using that as an illustration to say – that means that the gap between our steps are too far. We've got to put in other steps in between in order to take someone down a pathway to get them where we want them to go. And, and so yeah. It, yeah. it's a perfect, to me, an illustration of what you're talking about, that you have you know, a short season, amateur experienced, the, the best access to players that you can possibly get is is a college level player in that kind of scenario and then you're ha you're, you're you're being forced to go from that to to a okay longer season more travel paying players and and, and not only that but then you have to start taking into account if it, if nisa is that next step from the npsl you have to also factor in these you know um i call them you know moronic professional league standard rules that are not even based on soccer that starts to take into yeah. the time zones you're in the, the net worth of an owner yeah. and all of these other elements that you know your club right now may not be no matter where you're at in this country may not be actually set up to to be compliant with that professional league standard rule that have little to do with with soccer itself or or the viability of of your organization um, it's just an arbitrary rule in place. And, and so you have that hurdle a, as well as the travel, as well as making the jump to professional, as well as all these other uh, elements that makes that jump so big and make it difficult, which is effectively keeping the lid on the growth of clubs uh, around this country. Um, in, in looking at, you know, all of the um, – you know aspects of American soccer and in what you would you would like to see in, in terms of American soccer. What in your conversations with people in 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 the circles that 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 you're in and the conversations you have, what do you hear from others in terms of interest in soccer if it was open like a Silicon Valley, and you could build whatever you wanted, dream as big as you could, and build and and work as hard as you could to build that dream into reality. Um, yeah, this, this, this is like a, this is a super deep question. You're, you're asking, you're asking really good, good questions here, right? So I kind of, I kind of don't want to answer this question. I want to, I want to answer another question, but that's okay. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll come back to this one, but like, you know, you, you keep, you keep talking about like Silicon, Silicon Valley and the open platforms. 
And like the platforms are like, they're open, but they're closed, right? Like the Apple iPhone app store ecosystem, like it's open. Like I can go and build something. I can launch an app and I can go make money off that app. It's great. But it's, it's closed in the sense that like, it doesn't work on Android phones. It only works on Apple. And it's closed in the sense that like, one person's getting rich off that. And that's Apple. Apple's getting rich off the iTunes. And it's the same thing with Google. You're making stuff for like the Google phone. Right? You make apps for Android, they don't work on iPhone. You know, Google might be a little bit more open, you know, but you put them in the store, you follow Google's rules, and Google's ultimately kind of getting rich off that. Um, and the, the problem, I think, like to continue the analogy here, is that like all the leagues, a lot of the leagues are just trying to get rich off their own. Like, oh, we'll, we'll just solve this, you know, we'll solve this problem for this part of soccer, and our league in D2 will get rich or our league in D3 will get rich. And it's just like, you've got these, these leagues competing with each other, which is, which is not the right thing to do, right? I agree with you that we need this platform and it needs to be more open, but it's kind of like the person that's, I don't want you to say getting rich, but the person that needs to set the rules and set the standards and open it up, it's, it's gonna be the USSF, right? You would expect them to come up and be like, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna make this pyramid, it's gonna go D1 to D6, these are the rules, move your way up, move your way down, you know, even if you want to close off D1 and say like, we just can't touch the MLS because no one can figure that out, just enable it through the rest of the pyramid, set the rules, help the clubs do it, you know, help, help, those, help those leagues get broadcast deals, help those leagues get sponsorship deals, put them all together and make them work together, right? The, the way to fix this is like strong leadership at the USSF, and the scenario that we're in today is that the USSF just turns a blind eye to it, right? It's just like, we're just not interested in what's happening and D1 and below, or call it D2 and below, like just let those guys figure it out on their own. And it's, it's, just, a, it's just an unhealthy attitude. Like we certainly need that, we certainly need that platform and we need the guidance, we need someone to put it together in a way that helps everyone. And in the absence of the USSF doing it, like the leagues have to do it on their own, right? And you know, you got some of these leagues that are owned by individuals, which I think is the wrong model. And then you've got some of these leagues, leagues that are owned by the clubs. Right. The reason I love the NPSL so much is like, it's like nobody owns the league. Like we all own it. If you're a club this year and you play this year, you are a part owner in the league. If you drop out, you're not an owner anymore. Right. No one's getting rich off the NPSL. Like if the NPSL is going to make money at some point, we will distribute it back to the clubs and we can do a broadcast deal. We do a big sponsorship deal like that. That's the way it's going to work from the bottom of the pyramid to the top so that everyone shares in the successes of the league. And like, we're trying our best from an NPSL perspective to, to set this up and start to build from, you know, from the bottom up. And the, the best thing in the world would be if the USSF was like, we see your vision, we want to help, here's the plan. And that we just don't live in that world. And it's just, it's super, I think it's just super frustrating and it's such a huge missed opportunity. Certainly, certainly. So that was a different question that I, I answered a different question. No, that, 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 uh, but that maybe, is, maybe it's maybe it around to your first one. Uh, no, it's good. Clubs over leagues in always, always is my is my motto. And uh, and and if you have that philosophy yeah. of clubs over leagues, then you realize that leagues are just a, an organization of clubs. In 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 They're how they should for be clubs. exactly. Yeah. yeah, they should be they should be there. They should be anchored to their spot in the pyramid. And they, they welcome you in and they welcome you out, right? And they're just there to, to help make the game better here in the U.S. Absolutely. So playing into to, to my other question, and I'm glad you went there because that was a, that was a, that was a great uh, thoughts there that you shared. Um, when you do have conversations with others about, hey, if we ever get it right, um, you know, what do people talk about in that regard that you that you have conversations with? I mean, you don't have to drop names or anything, but just in general, like what what are some of the comments you hear about aspirations or dreams or things they would love to do or see? You know, it's 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 the question that like the the fans ask. They're like, "What if we like we're, we're having a great season right this year, right? So far, like we're gonna make the playoffs. I hope so, right? Looking good, but the team looks stronger than it's ever been." And then, you know, once the team is performing well, everyone's always asking, like, oh, gosh, what, what if we win? What's, what, what's next? And unfortunately, the answer to what's next is, like, nothing. You know, like, we're going to go back in the same league and do the same thing again. Um, because there's, there's not an opportunity for us to move out based off of merit. And uh, that's just the way it is. 
it's just a lousy answer. And so I just think it, it changes the narrative of the whole of the whole sport, of the whole purpose for the clubs to exist. You know, it changes the narrative of like what what a community can imagine that their club can achieve. Um, and you know, that's the beauty of the of the Open Cup, right? I think the reason that people love the the Open Cup and love talking about it and fantasizing about it and wanting to make you know qualify, you know, ourselves included. That was that was a dream for Stockade, like qualify for the US Open Cup. And we did it, right? And the reason you want that is like if if like if we you know if if we perform if we get super lucky if the coin flip goes in our favor x amount of times we'll play a professional team and we'll play them in kingston and is there anything more like amazing and romantic than that and um you know that that's that's the beauty of the u.s open cup and it's it, the, the, the sad part about it like that that spirit of that only lasts like a handful of weeks and only a handful of teams get to experience it and like, how do you just bake that into U.S. soccer culture in general? Where it's like, your team's having a good year. You might go up. That means huge things for you, the fans, the organization, the community, you know, as opposed to just where we are now, where we just don't have that. And so that, that's what we, that's what the owners talk about. It's like, what, what's next? You know, because like, th- there's people that want to, there's people that want to invest. And even if they don't have their own capital to invest, there's always people in these communities that are like, Sure, I would put money into that club. I'd put money into that club in order to take it to the next level. Like, look at Chattanooga just did. They raised almost a million dollars with their with their crowdfunding, right? Like, they they've shown that that's a model for like if you have a club with aspiration and you want to go somewhere, one of the ways you can buy the ticket there is by doing the crowdfunding. And that's like that's that's amazing. Like, that's a piece of infrastructure that now exists that didn't exist a year ago. Um, but it comes back to like, well, what are they going to invest in? What, what's, where are they going? What, what's the master plan? And, you know, like they have big dreams. It's like we have big dreams and we're just waiting for the products to exist so we can get our clubs in them. And, and Sorry, I get, you got me all riled up now. <laughs> no, no, it's great, man. It's great. And, and uh, I'm, I'm walking down the street in New York and people looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Nah, he, they'll they'll figure it out real quick that there's nothing wrong with this guy there's something majorly wrong with the system every time i explain to people the system we have the system that's that exists around the world uh, you know no matter whether they're soccer fans or baseball fans or football fans they all walk away going why don't we do that in all sports in america like that would be so cool um and, and I, yeah. I i i explained that to a a dad uh, a couple of years ago is a big baseball guy. And so it was easy for me to kind of, you know, explain to him what the system of, of, of openness and promotion, relegation, sporting merit and all that, um, how it would work using, you know, the baseball setup in America, use, you know, and saying, hey, if if this double A team won, they're up in triple A. If the triple A team lost, they're down in double A. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and started to ask him questions. Um, you know, so I was like, so look, it, you're in a community, you have a double A baseball team. If, if they had a reason to win and go up, do you think that they would go around and find, you know, the best baseball players in their area and get them into their system and into their team? And he said, absolutely. And keep in mind, this is, yeah. this is the birthplace of Hank Aaron, who, who, despite all of you giant fans out there, um, there, there are many of us who still think he's the all-time home run king um, over Barry Bonds. And, and you know, the other Hall of Famers have come out of this same area. And so it's, it's not like there's been a lack of baseball, quality baseball players that have, have come from that area where we were having this conversation. And he got it. Like, in five minutes, he got it. He was like, why don't we do that here? That would be so amazing. So it's not for a lack of understanding by the people. It's it's a lack of will by the leadership of U.S. soccer to get things done. And on that note, I know we can't get into any specifics on the court of arbitration and sport case due to you know to the rules of the court. Um, but Chris Kessel and I, uh, you know, have been working uh, for the last few months trying to to, to rally the troops uh, around the country to to basically come out in support of that effort uh, that you and Miami FC and Ricardo Silva and his team have done in terms of working to, um, you know, on that case and and basically saying, hey, we support your efforts. 
And I just wanted to give you an opportunity here as we as we get to the to the close of this to, to just say thank you to those 300 plus uh, clubs and organizations around this country who have voice support. Uh, official support uh, for that effort, your effort, and in, in Miami's effort uh, in that court of arbitration and sport case. Yeah, seeing that letter go around Twitter and then seeing it go from, you know, a handful of signatures that we, what do you say, it's like 300 plus now, that is just, that's incredible. It's like, it's, in, it's inspiring, right? And I think like, so, hey, for the folks listening, if you sign the letter, thank you. And if you haven't signed it and, uh, you know, you run a local club or you're, you support a local club, either either sign it as the, as the owner or, like, bring it to one of the, the ownership group of that lower division group and let them, let them sign on to it. So thank you for the help in getting all those signatures. Um, but I think, like, you know, if you peel back or step back one layer, like, it is pe- that, this is an example of people getting organized, right? Like, we, we have articulated the thing that we – that we want to see, the change that we want to see, right? And we're able to articulate it now in a way and organize around that, get signatures, and push this stuff um, up towards the leadership, right? Up the leadership of U.S. soccer, the leadership of the USSF. And it's just, it's just different now, right? Like, I, you know, I've only been in the space for, the, you know, four years since we started the club. You know, I've been a fan forever, but... Um, you know, really just like a, like a seat at the table, so to speak, since we started the club. And you can, you can feel the narrative changing and you can feel it getting more organized and you can feel the arguments getting, getting sharper in the support building for it. And like, we're, we're doing the right things. It's just like, it just takes, it just takes time. Everyone expects to wake up the next day and it's like, oh, oh no, the pyramid's fixed. Like it doesn't fix overnight. It doesn't fix in one year. It's like all of us together chipping away making our voices heard and kind of, you know, su- making suggestions and lobbying up that eventually changes things over time. And, it's, you know, it's not just Miami and Stockade, and it's not just the 300 people that signed the letters. It's like, like anyone, that, anyone that cares now has a, has a voice for this stuff. And I think we're all starting to push in the right direction, which is awesome. I completely agree. Um, we are better together. We are stronger together. Um, you know, I have a, a saying that I like to say that, um, you know, div- uh, united, um, we rise, divided, they win. Um, and yeah, and yeah. it's this idea of all of us coming together and, and working on different aspects, but, but, but all working towards the same end. Um, we're going to be much better when we are unified and and coming together rather than 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 fighting in in the same space where we should be trying to work together to, to create solutions, and and that to me is the big is the bigger point here. The whole idea and and uh, of promotion relegation and open systems and sporting merit, etc., is about the idea of inclusion and opportunity. It's about getting the system right. It's not a, it's 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 not a it's not anything personal. It's not anything that is, um, you, you know, beyond that scope. It's just saying, hey, let's let's live in a in a world of equal opportunity and let the chips fall where they fall, and and that's a much better way to get more investment, uh, higher quality, better excellence, etc. Than, than keeping things walled off and closed off. So, uh, Dennis, look, yeah. thank you so much for coming totally on the great. show and spending time with us um, and sharing your ideas and thoughts and insights on the system, on Stockade uh, as well. Really, really do appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Thank you. Can I have my 30 seconds for my shameless plugs? Go for your shameless plugs now. All right, here we go. Stockade is playing in Westchester tonight, 6 p.m. kickoff at New York Athletic Club in Pelham. If you are in New York or Westchester or Connecticut, come over there and cheer us on. It's a small field, but we have been uh, six games unbeaten, so we're we're psyched. We also have a game on Sunday in Kingston, Sunday night, 6 p.m. You can make it up to Kingston, catch one of the games in person. It's an incredible atmosphere. And if you can, you can always go to StockAFC.com, read about the story, uh, support the club, see the schedule, whatever. And uh, I'm always accessible online. If anyone has any questions or wants to continue the conversation, I'm just at Den on Twitter, D-E-N-S. Fantastic. And uh, if you are in that in the New York area this weekend, 
check them out. Go support Stockade. They're doing really good stuff. And uh, say hello to Dennis and the crew. Um, I'm sure they'd love to, to meet you, talk to you, uh, and, uh, and sh- you know, share ideas, share stories, etc. So, Dennis, thanks yeah, for coming on the show. And, and good luck this weekend, tonight and Sunday, um, as, yeah, you, thank you. as you play. Six, six games undefeated. Maybe you can make it to eight. That's the plan. That's the plan. Awesome. All right. Great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Super fun conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Dennis Crowley, the founder of Foursquare and the founder of Stockade FC. I'd like to thank Dennis for coming on the show and spending time with us. Again, um, if if you're in the New York area this weekend, tonight, um, Stockade has a match as well as Sunday. So you could have uh, two matches this weekend with Stockade, one away and one at home. Uh, take advantage if you're in the area. It, it would be worth uh, worth the time. And I know they'd love to see you and hang out. So anyway, uh, we will be right back after a word from our sponsor this half hour, which is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in this week. Thanks for Dennis Crowley coming on today. Hope Solo this past Monday. We have had a a packed lineup and show um, this week uh, with with all of our guests. Um, You know, just David Walding on Tuesday was great to chat with uh, out in Austin, Texas with the Central Texas Lobos. Ruth Nicholson on Wednesday. Um, talking about governance and operations and getting better at what you do where you are Um, and then yesterday um, Chris Kessel came off the bench to score the match winner and fill in uh, as our guest yesterday where we're talking about leadership and the need for leadership at U.S. soccer and then like I said and then Dennis being on today so thanks for tuning in this week thanks for watching the show thanks for supporting the show I really appreciate it you can always watch and learn more about the show at danielwerbin.com or on Twitter, Instagram, at Daniel Workman, Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. We will see everybody next week. Goodbye.